Welcome to I Love That Record, a podcast featuring my friend John Beckman and myself, Eric Jorgensen. Each episode, one of us picks an album that we love and we talk about it. Hey, John, how's it going? I'm doing well tonight, Eric. How are you? I am awesome, especially now that I'm talking to you. What are you drinking tonight? I am drinking, pardon my German, Franz Scanner Weiss beer. Ooh, that sounds delicious. It's a premium Hefeweizen. One of the top rated that I could find at my local Total Wine. <laughs> Your favorite local uh, liquor store. Yes, there's a free free plug for Total Wine. Maybe they'll hear it and throw us a couple dollars for some for sponsorship, huh? That that would be amazing. And you know, it's it's a Sunday <laughs> when we're recording this, and slowly but surely, I think Minnesota is moving towards allowing liquor stores uh, liquor sales on Sundays. So I'll drink. I to think that. so. You yeah. can do growlers. That's you true. can do growlers at breweries. I think that's it. <laughs> someday soon we'll be able to actually be adults and make adult decisions for ourselves but i hope so that's another podcast i, I suppose <laughs> i suppose it is all right so this is our second episode of i love that record all oh, the time flies yeah the last one i chose the everglow by may a pop bunk band from the from our college days and what have you chosen for us tonight, sir? I have chosen a uh, an album by a band, I guess, kind of, sort of, that is very much in that same genre, shocking, and was also released in 2005. And the album nice. is Everything in Transit by Jack's Mannequin. Good choice. Good choice. And I have to give a shout out to our friend David Bartels, because when I told him about this podcast and that you and I were each you know, going to pick an album for the first two episodes, he picked each album that we would choose. On the first try. So I salute you, David Bartels. He's a pretty incredible person, so I salute you as well. He might be somebody we have to have on as a guest. Yes. I think we should do that. And congratulations to him. Just having a child. (laughs) Yes. I'll I'll drink to that. I'll drink to that as well. So yes, (laughs) Everything in Transit by Jack's Mannequin, which is, was whatever, a side project at the time of Andrew McMahon, who is now very famous somehow. I don't really understand how he's blown up, but he has. Uh, This was him coming off of the band Something Corporate, which I know was always one of your faves and probably still is one of your faves. And I wouldn't be surprised if you picked one of their albums at some point. Definitely my favorite band. And I was, I was bummed when I heard that they were, um, that they were not going to record together anymore. And was a little skeptical of this Jack's Mannequin project, but I also love that this record. So, so you're glad I, uh, I chose it. In other words, yeah, it, it turned out uh, turned out to be okay for him. <laughs> so, Eric, uh, do you remember when you first heard of this record? I think what happened was is I heard a song or two as like a sampler. I think it was available for download maybe on iTunes back in the day when people bought songs or downloaded songs on iTunes. And I think it was Kill the Messenger, uh, track two, I think, on the album. That was, Sorry, mixtape. I think it was the mixtape, track two. <laughs> Correction. Okay. Uh, yep. And I think that that's what it was. And I think that was released first. And then I, I think from there, I just, I think I bought it at a store. And actually, I remember specifically when I bought it and where I bought it. It was at a Target in Vadnais Heights, Minnesota. And I remember it so vividly because I saw my ex-girlfriend and her mom at Target while I was buying this album. So it stuck with me because we hadn't been broken up for that long. 
And uh, I think that that, like Maze the Everglow, is going to kind of color my conversation a little bit of the album because a lot of the album I can relate to that time of my life and that time of my life was, you know, having broken up with somebody and all that. So, yes, that, that is when I heard it. Do you remember when you heard it for the first time? Um, sadly, I don't remember the specific events at all. Um, I didn't have as have anything as uh, as scarring as <laughs> seeing an ex girlfriend while buying the record, but um, I think being so uh, interested and um, invested in something corporate, um, I I did go out and buy the album, but I I don't remember where, I don't remember exactly when, but uh, I do remember listening to it and loving it all the way through uh, the first time. So very very something corporate esque, but maybe more of a chill um, aspect to it. To me, there was also something just different about the songwriting. And I don't know exactly uh, what that is because I was never really a something corporate fan. I'm still really not, sorry to say. And I don't know if it was the producer. It looks like Jim Wirt was a co-producer on this album. I don't know who Jim Wirt is. Um, but I heard hats off to you. Stink, though. What was that? <laughs> I heard he worked with Tim Stank, though. <laughs> That's, that has to now be a recurring <laughs> joke. <laughs> Whenever we mention a producer, <laughs> I love it. <laughs> yeah, I think that Jim Wart uh, definitely worked with Hoobastank. <laughs> he produced The Reason. No, I'm just, okay, continue. <laughs> One interesting bit of trivia about this album, Tommy Lee of Motley Crue and Pamela Lee Anderson fame played drums on some of the songs on this album. I don't know why or how or what, but he did. I don't know it wasn't the whole album, but at least uh, some of the songs, he was the drummer. I really wish I was a fly on the wall when that sort of friendship <laughs> or relationship started. I'm I not do too. quite sure how those two people, how, how Andrew and Tommy Lee crossed paths, but it worked because the drums are awesome on the record. So kudos, kudos to you guys. <laughs> and the album, it's, it's kind of an interesting story, I think, because like you said, Andrew McMahon had just kind of broken up the band or they broke up or whatever they weren't going to record. And he was kind of in a, a new place. I think a lot of the album is about, moving to California or living in a new place in California. I'm not exactly sure, but there's this sense of transience and trying to find one's uh, sense of identity, I think throughout the entire album, which is appealing to me again, maybe it just hit me at the right time in my life. I think that's <laughs> the case for a lot of albums. Um, but yeah, I, I think that that's really cool. I, I, I don't know. It's just, there's just something unique and special about this album because I don't think any of the Jack's mannequin albums that followed ever reached the heights of this one in my personal opinion. Yeah, I think that's where we. That's definitely where we differ because I think I I really liked. Um, yeah, I think he's got two, two or three albums actually after this one. With Pretty Jack sure it's three. I think there are three. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then he's moved on to what Andrew McMahon in the Wilderness now, which has, like you said, has blown up on the radio for <laughs> yeah. or one reason or another. Um, but. Uh, um, oh crap. I don't, I don't know where we were going with that. I was just talking about random, random chit chat. I think about the album. So, I mean, I, I could ask you what, what you love about it because I think we both just unequivocally love this album and are crazy about it. Cause we both went and saw the 10th anniversary tour show that he did here at first Avenue. And it was amazing. And I felt like I was transported back to 2005. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, I think, you know, kind of similar to the Everglow. I think it was just, maybe it was the time that that I fell in love with this and being in college and um, kind of that whole dating aspect and being excited about, you know, kind of love and dating and um, all that, you know, I don't know if that, that kind of helps color the whole 
view of the album, but uh, um, yeah, I don't know. Well, I think it has to for sure. And it, I, I, he mentions a, a lady friend multiple times in the album. I think the song Miss Delaney is about her. And I think the, the identity of her has come out since then. I can't really remember the story, but I think is this where uh, he talks about her being a film projectionist or was she dating a film projectionist? I don't know. There's something. But anyway, there, there's definitely a, a sense of romance in the album. Oh, that's not the only topical matter for sure, but uh, there's definitely that. And then, you know, kind of a side note, when this was released shortly thereafter, he was diagnosed with uh, uh, lymphoma, I believe. No, sorry, leukemia. I'm looking Leukemia, now. yep. And he had to have chemotherapy and uh, postpone his tour and such. So it was just a very, really interesting time in his life, I think. And I think that comes across really well in the album. And I, I don't know. I, I think people say that the best art comes from turmoil or sadness or, or whatever. And I, I can't help but wonder if that's part of what was going on with this record. Because it's definitely not a happy album, per se. Yeah. It's not joyous. Um, I think there's actually a strong sense of melancholy and longing throughout it, but I, I think that that's part of what makes it great for me. Well, maybe it's almost creepy in a way because a lot of this was written before all that went Mm. down, right? Yes. Yes. But he does talk about, um, being sick and he mentions doctors and, um, I can have all these different themes really apply to, you would almost think that he did go through the leukemia stuff, you know, while he was writing this or, or before he wrote this. But oh, totally. Um, yeah, looking back, that has to be. Um, yeah, I'm not quite sure how how he uh, how he took all that, but um, it's definitely got to be, be a weird experience writing writing about all that or about those feelings, and then actually, you know, going through something as traumatic as as that, and kind of uh, relating you know relating your songs back to those. So I have an important question to ask you yeah. about this album. Do yeah. you consider Into the Airwaves, which was released as a, quote, bonus track, as part of the original release of the album, do you consider that part of the album? Because um, we talked, just for people who have not heard the first episode, which you should definitely check out, we talked about our mutual dislike for special editions that add bonus <laughs> crap and whatever to the original <laughs> album because it just muddies what was uh, an artistic statement meant to stand on its own with some reinterpretation garbage. But this one was weird because <laughs> this last track on the album, after which, by the way, sorry, the track 10 at the end of it, uh, Andrew McMahon is saying, uh, that's the record, blah, blah, blah. He's kind of just talking to the engineer or something until they run out of tape. And then there's number 11, <laughs> Into the Airwaves, the bonus track, which is a great song, by the way. So it's kind of weird. But it was, on, it was on the original. Yes, yeah. I mean, it was on the original release of it. But yeah, it was weird that he was talking about, like you said, running out of track and all that. So, I mean, I, I think you have to consider it part of the album because it was on the original release. But uh, it is weird that those tracks aren't flip-flop where into the airways would be number 10 and then um made for each other would be the actual last track because that's you know you could easily cut it off there and it'd be a, a great 10 song uh album agreed but i think out of principle you have to call it part of the part of the record because it was on the original release it's not like a, a special edition one i'm with you i'm with you which there actually was. There was a 10th anniversary. There was, and I don't really know. Was there much that was different about it? 
Um, Did it have all that bonus stuff, I think, maybe? Um, there were some other tracks that were recorded as part of the sessions. I think pretty much the whole the whole album was remastered. And actually, uh, if, you, if you bring it up, it's one of those, if you bring it up on Spotify, I think that's the only uh, version that comes up. They actually they have all, the original on Spotify. Um, oh, they do? Okay, yeah, nice. So can, I, I must well, have just selected that one. No, never mind. There's a... I don't know what a non-PA re, uh, release is. Uh, parental advisory, that's what it was. Okay, so you can get the censored version. Um, and then they do have, like you said, the 2015 remaster, which actually that's another good digression. Um, it kind of makes me sad when the original master of an album is no longer available on a streaming service because yep. I think sometimes remaster is good and sometimes it's not so good. Uh, there's a lot of stuff that goes into... Um, the relative loudness of an album that can kind of ruin it with a remaster where everything is kind of brought up and you lose some of the d- dynamic range by uh, compressing everything into oblivion, which is kind of frustrating. And I haven't really compared what was released in 2015 versus the original to see if they butchered it too badly, but it is unfortunately the only one available on, on Spotify. Yeah. I'll just see if I can find my original disc or, or something to get, uh, to get those original versions and compare them someday. But the 10th anniversary does come with um, a second disc, quote, disc, uh, a second set of tracks, <laughs> none yep. of which I think are very good. Um, I think that the best songs ended up on the album, personally, uh, but that's just me. Um, I would say the the one I would pick out of that would be The Lights and Buzz. Ah, the Christmas and I'd actually one, heard, kind of. Yeah, I, so I'd heard that as, I think, almost like a single, uh, single or a Christmas single or whatever. Um, I do really like that one. Um but yeah, the other ones, I think there's a couple live versions of songs and that's uh, songs that are very clearly uh, <laughs> lower tier than the ones that actually made the record. So it, it's understandable to see why they didn't make the record. Um, the running joke in our friend group is that I think Lonely for Her is one of the worst songs I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> yes. And I, I can't even handle That's one of the bonus tracks, by the way. Yep. I can't even handle it when it uh, comes on. So yeah, that's that's sorry, um, Andrew. I, I love you, but yeah, that's not, it's that's it's not good. I got left off the record, and actually, yeah. I think that's another really uh, important thing to mention. Um, whereas the Everglow, in my opinion, had a little bit of fluff, a little bit of filler. It's a long album. I think it's over sixty minutes long in the regular version. Everything in Transit is much leaner. It's forty-five minutes long, and I, I think that there's something to be said for an album that uh, comes in hits you with its message and then leaves without any filler. And I really don't think there are are any filler songs on this album whatsoever. I think every song is strong. They're not all my favorites, but every song is strong. Uh, So it's, it's tight, I guess is what I would say. Yeah. So that's probably a good transition into talking about uh, our favorite songs on the record, but I'm actually going to uh, interrupt the good transition. Oh, sure. Which is always a nice thing to do. Interrupt the way. Something. Yeah. Um, one thing I love about this record, and maybe a couple songs on this record, are that, uh, for those who don't know, Eric and I actually had a very short uh, performance career during our college days on campus at uh, Scooters. And we actually recorded, or we, we didn't record, I shouldn't say that, but we performed a couple of these songs. Do you remember which ones they were? Holiday for Real, for sure. Yes, I believe that was one. We did another one? Maybe it was just that one. But we changed a couple of the words to be family uh, friendly. Catholic university appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, I don't think we mentioned lesbians. I'm pretty sure we, we took that part out. We changed lesbians into thespians. Dude, yeah. Oh, good memory. And it was, uh, I think it's pretty much that same line. He, he talks about scoring an eighth, but I, I forget what we did. I don't know if we changed that. We might have changed. I, I don't really remember. For sure we changed the lesbians to thespians, though, which is, is pretty clever in retrospect. Kind of sad that we felt like we had to do that. But, you know, we were good kids. What can I say? We don't want to get in trouble. Correct. We were very, very straight-laced. So that was a good interruption. That, that, that was a good been interrupted. Let's continue the nice transition into uh, what would you say are your? Let's go five. five. If you want to go seven, you can. I'm not going to go seven go this 10, time. I'm going to follow the rules. <laughs> I think that I think the rule that we should go with okay. is when you're picking your favorite songs, you have to go however long the album is. That minus one. You can't pick every song as your favorite. You have okay. to eliminate at least one. That's song. actually pretty generous. I'm impressed with your generosity, John. <laughs> I've always known you five. Generous. If you can do five, I would say five is yeah, the max. I probably gonna, should go with. I'm going to pick five. Um, I, okay, so maybe this would be the rule. What if you can pick half the album songs or less? So this is a 11 song album. Maybe you round down and say five is the max. So it makes sense that the Everglow, being a 15 track album, I was allowed to pick seven. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe? Yeah. No? <laughs> yeah, I'll give you that one, bud. So my five uh, are pretty easy for me, actually, when I look at the list. Uh, Holiday from Real, which is the opener. It's one of those openers we talked about with We're So Far Away on the Everglow. It just grabs you right away, I think. Um, it's got a nice driving beat. It's got a great melody. Uh, it's it's interesting song. I mean, lyrically, you know, he's he's singing about living in Los Angeles, I think, or Southern California, um, somewhere kind of unique. It's a story song. He's kind of walking through a day, I think, in the life sort of. Um, I think it's great. She thinks I'm much too thin. She asked me if I'm sick. What's a girl to do with friends like this? She lets me drive her car so I can score an eighth from the lesbians I wear. Bruised, which is an amazing song, also number three uh, on the record. I'm gonna actually pull it up right now, quick in my. Yeah, it's uh, another one of those driving beat songs that I really like. It kind of starts a little bit slower. There's a little bit of an intro, but then just hits you right away, and it's very upbeat, very peppy. Um, musically, at least, I don't think that the lyrics are. <laughs> Again, this whole album is kind of melancholy lyrically, but this uh, has a lot of um, a lot of. I don't know. It's just something about it. I just, I've always loved this song. Hours pass and she still counts the minutes that I am not there. I swear I didn't mean for it to feel like this. Like every inch of me is bruised. Bruised. Yep. I, I totally agree. Oh, shoot. I didn't pick one I thought I would. Ah, boy. As I'm looking back on what I picked, <laughs> I'm kind of sad. I I, um, I will come back to that one. Sorry. Right. Uh, Kill the Messenger. Kill the Messenger. I swear it's not me. It's just someone I used to know. And get to church because you're a good girl. And I never told you that. And all I need from you to be the thing that leaves us both up here. Which is kind of a more ballady song. It's kind of a medium tempo song, I guess I would say. But it's, it's, um, it's something about the melody. It, there's this longing in it. I I don't know the way he sings these songs. It's just is 
always done it for me, obviously, as I'm talking about it. I can't really find the words to describe it, and I wish I could. Um, but this is one of those songs. And then as is the next one I picked, which is Rescued. Um, it's the most ballady of all songs on the album, and it's just a gorgeous melody. It's got multiple mu- musical moments, which I think... Oh, you we stole should, my line. I was just no. about to say that. Sorry. Uh, that's sorry de- that. No, that's fine. I was just going to say, that's definitely one song that has... I can't. I, I didn't write. I didn't jot them down. But that's got a couple awesome musical moments. Well, what what is a musical moment, John? For people who are listening, all, all two of them who uh, might not know what a musical moment is. <laughs> um, so a musical moment is a. It can either be a couple seconds up to. Did did we ever put a. a a top range on it? I don't think so. I don't think you have to range it. I think you can use your best judgment because a musical moment is not an entire song. It can't be. Um, Correct. I would say it's, it's, uh, you know, it could be a one second clip or a 30 second clip of a song where there's something that they're doing that just makes it feel all warm inside. It could be a key change. It could be a little flip of their voice. It could be, um, a certain drum hit or a bass hit or whatever it is, but it's something where every time you listen to the song, you're really excited to get to that part. Um, or if like you're listening to the background and you, you kind of hear that it's like your brain fires and like, Oh, Oh yes. That that part's awesome. That was awesome. That's a great description. I completely agree with everything you said. And this song definitely has, I think it has multiple really, um, it's a little flip of the voice thing, I think for me. And I think the same is probably true for you. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I think it's where he's leading into the chorus. He does it one way. A few yes. times, so then towards the end of the song, he ends up going up rather than down. And it's the way he does it is, yeah, yep, it's it's great. Agreed completely. But the song itself is awesome. And actually, I don't think it's related, but the lyrics of the song actually always remind me of uh, the movie Donnie Darko. (laughs) I think it's I've inserted little lines and stuff to make it more like it or little twists of the words because he talks about a jet engine and there's a part when the jet engine and Donnie Darko. I I saw the movie around the same time I listened to this album. I don't think they're actually related, but I can't say I've ever made that connection, but uh, I see where you're coming from on that. (laughs) Thank you. And uh, my number five is the dual song of MFEO, Made for Each Other, and Mm -hmm. You Can Breathe, which is uh, the really the last track of the album. I agree with you. Into the Airwaves, it counts. It's on the album. But MFEO slash You Were Made for Each Other, or sorry, You Can Breathe is actually what it is. Um, It's really the closer. It's brilliant the way it starts with kind of a bouncy, peppy, uh, whatever, great song awesome whatever and it transitions into you can breathe with this beautiful for me a musical moment again which i will put a clip in shortly And uh, launches in with this beautiful uh, piano riff and then finishes out the album and just has so much emotion for me. I just, it, it's, it's the perfect way to say goodbye to a fantastic uh, album, uh, you know, 47 minutes at that point, I think. So those are my five songs. And sorry, honorable mention is I'm Ready. <laughs> because today was a day just like any other. And today was a day just like any other. <laughs> 
That is a great intro to that song. And I um, wish I could have picked it, but I kept it at five because I tried to follow the rules this time. All right. I appreciate that. Um, I'm usually the rule follower of the, of <laughs> that's, the, that's the pair of us. Um, all right. So if I were to say my top five, by far my favorite song on the record. So I think as a general rule, I'll probably just say five, but I can definitely say that this is my favorite. Dark Blue, which is, I'm, I'm kind of surprised it's not in your top five. Was that the song that you almost, that you forgot about that you didn't no, put in there? No, the I'm Ready oh. is the honorable mention. Um, oh, that's that, right. I just okay. fit in. Yeah, Dark Blue, it's, um, it's fine, but it's just not not my favorite. And I'm, I think I'm weird because almost everybody else just loves that song. Yeah, I love, love, love that song. It's It's got that, um, maybe we can play a clip of it, or we're definitely going to play a clip of it. Oh, definitely. It's got this, it's got this driving piano that just sucked me in right away. And if you ever watch the music video for it too, it's kind of this um, interesting, like old school kind of fifties dance competition. Oh, funny. Um, I've never seen that before. I think they're on a boat if I remember correctly, but um, yeah, it's just, it's uh, I love that song. I love the, love the beat to it. Love the lyrics, so I would say definitely my favorite is that uh, "Rescued" for all the reasons that you said. Uh, the musical moments, I would say, would be a number two. Uh, this is where it gets tough. I think "MFEO," the parts one and two, would be number three, um, and then I'd probably go. Miss Delaney, actually. Oh, interesting. And Holiday from Real. Is that five? I think that's five. I think that's five. I think that's five. Yeah. I think it's really cool, have... actually, that we picked uh, different songs overall. I mean, some of the songs yeah. are the same, but... Yep. Yeah, I think I think probably Bruise would be an honorable mention. I would say if okay. I had to pick right now. But I think a, a cool thing about this album is that my favorite songs kind of they fluctuate as I listen more and more. I think I'll go through through moods or spells where I think those top two, like I said, never change. But beyond that, I think it's it's kind of fluid. I think that's actually a really good point. That a, a great album, I think, is like a I mean, it's again, like any piece of art, you have a relationship with it and like any relationship, it, it just can change and grow over time. And it sounds weird to say, cause it's an inanimate object, but you think about it, we've been listening to this thing for, uh, basically 11 years, which is a long time. Yeah. <laughs> cause it's uh, a long time. I definitely do still listen to it fairly frequently. I mean, I, I don't know, it could even be once a month still, maybe a little bit less than that, but for 11 year old album, I think that's pretty incredible. I think that's really incredible. And I think that uh, that's the reason that you picked it as your first one. Hoobastank? That... <laughs> Produced by uh, Jim Wirt, I believe. <laughs> Produced by Jim Wirt. Yeah. And that other guy. Yeah, the they other co-produced guy. it. Yeah. Yeah, I, 
I wish I could be up more eloquent in talking about this album because it's so, so important to me and has been uh, since it came out. Even the cover is amazing. I just love the cover art for this album. It's this really cool sketch of, I don't know, somewhere in California. Maybe it's Venice, I guess, maybe Venice Beach or something. And uh, it's it's got this kind of cool sketched out line art. There's a little plane pulling a Jack's mannequin sign in the, in the sky. And it, there's just something unique about it. The, the albums that followed it, uh, I think, were maybe a little bit different thematically because they dealt with more of the cancer stuff and the illness. Yeah. Um, probably there was just something unique about this time in his life and it really comes across. So Andrew McMahon, uh, I salute you for making a great, uh, album. It's fantastic. Yeah. I think it's definitely a nice, um, you know, maybe it's just the California and kind of that, that whole, that whole theme, but I think it's, it's a definite summer album. It's a great one to put, uh, to put on the car, roll the windows down and just cruise. Um, and I think it, I think I would say for sure it's Venice beach because he does mention, out west in Venice, yes. in one of the songs. So I'm guessing that's what uh, that's what it is. But um, well, this would be the point in the podcast where I would ask you your least favorite songs. But I think we already touched on that. There's not really any on this on this album. Well, I think I have to pick some. I but if you I mean I, if you if you had to pick, I think we have to pick one. Gone to my head. So if you had to pick one that you don't like as much, maybe that's how we'll put it this time. Oh boy, you're gonna kill me, but it's it's dark blue. <laughs> Stab me through the heart. I know, I, I I know. It's it's something about it's almost too emotive for me, and the way he's singing it almost reminds me of something corporate. Sorry again, John. And it's I think maybe that's well, why that's, I don't maybe like, that's a good point. Maybe that's why I like it so much. I think it might because it does kind of yeah. harken back to 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 something corporate. It just kind of sounds like he's crying a little bit on it. Sort of. I don't know. It, that's not really fair. What about you? Do you have any uh, least favorite songs that you would care um, to talk about? If I had to pick one right now, I'd probably say La La Lie. Okay. Yeah. Which is right before Dark Blue, track five. That's I think, really hard for me to say, though, because I, I, you know, I really do like all of them. I almost picked that one, but then I remembered back to the show that we went to, the 10th anniversary show at First Ave. And that was a great song live because everybody sings along so much. The chorus is so easy to sing. And I think oh, that that God, actually changed my opinion of the song. <laughs> so it's a good point. It's kind of funny how that can happen. Uh, speaking to your point about the, the changing nature of the relationship you have with an album. And I think even live performance can change your opinion of, of different songs, which is cool. Yeah. And if I'm allowed to mention a different band, I think there was a, um, uh, I forget which song it was, but there was a Bearstone song that we, you weren't, you didn't really care for, but then you heard it live and you had a new appreciation for it. Ooh, which song was that? I don't. It was one that I liked even on the even on the album, but you weren't big on. I forget. Oh. Um. You'll have to try to think of that because uh, it's you know, very me, possible me, that I might choose Bearstone at some point. <laughs> uh, spoiler alert! Right. Yeah. Let me look it up. We can pause, right? Yeah, I can cut this out. Um, it was on Red Earth and the Pouring Rain. Do on the Vine, wasn't it? I think I like that one right away. I'm pretty hmm. sure. Pretty sure. Damn it. I thought that was the song. Oh, maybe there wasn't a song. 
for the two people listening, we will all have to figure that out and we'll get back to you guys yeah. in the next podcast. Yes. Um, maybe we could just cheat and say lonely for her. We could just pretend <laughs> we're talking about the, yeah, the bonus I, disc and just say that could almost be my her. favorite song because I'm so glad that they left it off the album <laughs> because that definitely would have been my least favorite song. It is the worst. It is terrible. I can't believe it ever got written. I can't believe it ever got recorded. Jim Wirt, you fail as a producer by even putting that thing to tape. <laughs> we should. I'm throwing down if the gauntlet. Get, if we ever get to meet Andrew Andrew McMahon, we should ask him about that song. We should. Get, Why get were you so lonely for her, Andrew? I just... Uh, <laughs> Uh, anyway, yeah. Um, any it, any huh? closing thoughts on the before we get to whether you'd recommend this or not? Any any memories or anything that we haven't touched on? I don't think so. We talked about ex girlfriend and her mom at Target. Yeah. yeah, I mean, you know, that's actually maybe a quick digression too. Is um, the buying of an album, which unfortunately doesn't really exist in the same way anymore, was so so part of my experience growing up and relating to an album because I can vividly remember. Uh, different albums and when I first heard them. And I'm sure that's going to come out on the podcast as we talk about different albums. Um, and I'm kind of sad that that's gone away where now it's, well, yeah, I streamed it on Spotify. Do you remember where you were when you streamed on Spotify for the first time? Probably not. <laughs> because yeah. there was such an investment um, of time and energy. I mean, you can kind of roll your eyes at that and think, wow, you drove five minutes to the store to buy it. But there's still, there was this excitement I would have. Like I've, I remember still, like for example, the release of the album Borders and Boundaries by Less Than Jake came out on October 24th, 2002, I believe. And I bought it with my mom and my friend, Mark. Uh, That's awesome. Yeah. I'm pretty sure I want to say, yeah, hopefully I got that right. Somebody's probably going to look that up. One of the two people listening and just go look (laughs) that up and figure out that I, I'm wrong about the day. Ah, no, I was two years off October 24th, 2000. (laughs) So I had the date, right? But not the year. Sorry. 2000. Uh, but yeah, I, I vividly remember that, and I remember then listening to it for the first time and how I felt about it. So I, I think that man, you would have been a sophomore in high school. Yes, sir. We yes, both would have been. Wow. My mom was cool. She, she drove me to the store to buy <laughs> buy albums, and so yeah, That's that awesome. that isn't uh, really a thing anymore. And I was actually just talking to my dad about it a little bit via email because. He and I, that was kind of a thing that we did. We would go to the Electric Fetus, and he would buy me an album or two. Um, our other records started, actually, too, all around the Twin Cities. And uh, I'm kind of sad that I probably won't really do that with my child. I mean, it's possible, I guess, with vinyl and stuff, but it's just hard to justify the effort and the energy, I guess. So this is one of those albums. I remember you know, when I bought it and how I felt about it and putting it in the car. That was the other thing that was so perfect is it came out in late summer, and I was able to just go out to my car and... Put the CD in, roll the windows down, and kind of experience almost what maybe it was like for Andrew McMahon to be in California a little bit, you know, as as close as August in Vadnais Heights, Minnesota gets to Venice Beach, California. But I like it. Yeah. What about you? Anything else? Any closing thoughts? Um, I guess not. No, nothing personal. I think I think I've talked uh, or touched on everything I wanted to. But as I'm just perusing the everything in transit wikipedia page uh jim wirt actually played guitar bass and did backup vocals on this record it's well amazing he had time to do that given his yeah. uh, production responsibilities with hoobastank I, I guess so yeah he was a good multitasker that jim wirt <laughs> and maybe he was one of the ones who contributed to the quality of the songs on the album i mean i think every producer works a little bit differently. And I think the best producers are kind of almost like an additional member of the band and that they are a new set of ears and can say, 
that's working. No, that isn't. For all I know, Jim Ward could have been the guy who said, uh, Lonely for Her is not going on this record. And Andrew was like, oh, it's gotta, it's gotta. And Jim's like, no, it's not. Yeah. Let's, let's throw that one away. So who knows? But I, it's very possible that that's one of the reasons this album is so great is that the production was really good. And actually one interesting bit of trivia, it was released on Maverick Records, which was the label owned by Madonna or started oh, wow. by Madonna. Yeah. It was kind of weird. I don't know how Andrew McMahon ended up on Maverick. I don't even know if they exist anymore. <laughs> but uh, yeah, super weird, super strange. I'm trying to think. Uh, I'm looking it up quick for for all of our listeners. It looks like it's still looks like it's still a record label. Well, there's a litigation and decline section <laughs> on the <Wikipedia> page. <laughs> okay, which I hadn't got to that point. All right, is never so, good. Uh, yeah, they, they last released something in 2011. Uh, it has remained in dormancy, according to Wikipedia. So, All right. rest in peace, um, Maverick. But apparently Michelle Branch was an artist, as was um, Jason Aldean, funny enough. Weird. Nicki Minaj. Weird. Yeah. Hmm. Well, Wayne. Man, they spanned uh, multiple genres there. <laughs> Shania Twain? Yeah, go figure. Anyway, um, all right. Well, if you don't have any other thoughts, I think we'll get to the last, uh, the most important question. Yeah. Would you recommend this record? I would wholeheartedly recommend this record to our listeners. I think they should all go listen to it right now and uh, tell us their thoughts because it's great. I, uh, I agree with your sentiment. Uh, I think they should. I love that record. <laughs> I love that record as well. That's the record. Uh, I guess we'll keep talking. Uh, this tape's gonna run out soon. And I'm gonna have to go buy more. And I'm a real procrastinator, so I probably won't do that for a while. So until the next time, uh, it's, been a, it's been interesting. But I'm glad that we have her done. Jack's mannequin, everything in transit.